Greetings, everybody. This is a Travel Addict podcast where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and adventure travel from around the world with activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising, and just plain chilling out somewhere. We talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world, including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque, and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment, and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Good morning, everyone. Travel Addict here, a.k.a. Malcolm Teasdale. Today, I have a lady from, uh, she's originally from Belgium, I think, lives in Italy now. Actually, she's been all over the place. Federica Bressan. Now, hopefully I've pronounced that correctly. And she's got an intriguing story. She's done a lot in her life from backpacking to becoming a PhD, which is an extraordinary achievement. Frederica, can you hear me? Can you see me? Are you there? Welcome. I'm there. I can hear you. I can see you. And thank you so much for having me. By the way, you pronounced my name very well. I've heard it mispronounced many times abroad, and you did a very good job. Well, thank you. I've been practicing for the last two weeks, actually. <laughs> just to let you know. <laughs> anyway, please, uh, you could join me here just before the weekend. It's Friday, and you are six, seven hours ahead of me. So I appreciate sort of getting on late afternoon here. Anyway, yeah, in the future. Yes. Yes, indeed. I know you're in, in uh, the great city of Rome there. I'll ask you about that in a little while. But your story, if I want to start somewhere, you started backpacking at the age of 19, right? I did. I did. You could say 17, but then um, that was my first trip when I was 17. That when I when I discovered what it meant to travel, because you don't really know before then, you know, you may go with your family somewhere, but that's exactly. a different thing. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was 17, I was with a boyfriend that was slightly older. So he was over age and uh, he was used to traveling every summer with something called Interrail, which is a rail pass. Yeah. I don't know if you're, yeah, you know. So uh, he took me on one of those trips and for the first time, uh, so I was with him, I left home with a backpack and we went to the UK uh, all the way up to Scotland and then Ireland. And, you know, that was eye opening. That was, you know, he wanted to go one direction and I already knew that I was so curious and eager to explore that other street, what's around that corner. And so after that trip that I have to credit him for taking me on, yeah. once I was back, that was the summer between my fourth and fifth year in high school. So I had one more year in school and I was underage then, but the last year in school all winter, I was burning behind my desk in school my engines were on already and I couldn't wait to go on another trip and by myself because I just wanted to explore and without a plan yeah that's, that's the beauty of it you don't have to have a plan just uh, go somewhere and then um, see how it goes and then you know do your own thing I don't know about you, but um, the, the older we get, I'm older than you, by the way, Federica, I find the older I get, the more I want to be away from crowds of people. So I find myself going more off the beaten track to these sort of obscure places. And this is something that may happen to you as you get older. I don't know. But the fact that you've been backpacking, I never did that. But I know people who have, like just put a, a bag on your back and just go somewhere is a, an awesome thing to do. Now you did this in the States as well, or Canada, did you? Did you I did. I absolutely did. And I think that there's something very important to be said right away. And that um, I'm old enough uh, to have traveled quite a bit before the internet was so widespread. And it's, it was common to have it on your phone. Yeah. When I started traveling, I did not have a cell phone and you didn't Google your next hostel where you would stay at. No, that's a that's different. That's yes, different. it is. So you really couldn't do any research to know whether a hostel was decent or not. 
you know, there's no ratings game there. You know, you know there's no trip advisor, of course. So you just have to take a chance, right? So, but that's where you stayed. You stayed in hostels, did you? For the most part, I believe that even that world has changed a lot because hostels were, by definition, really cheap. Yeah. And certain types of people would stay there and it wouldn't be cheap people. It would simply be young travelers uh, without many expectations uh, in a dormitory, normally four or six or eight or more beds. And now I believe that it's really different because Airbnb has changed the game a yeah. lot. Hostels are more expensive. It's it's a very different way of being on the road, including backpacking, which in one word would express also, if, if you want, for the duration of the trip would define the lifestyle and the approach to, to traveling mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, you mentioned checking if a place is decent. I would say, what? You just show up at the desk and you check if they have space for that night. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I, I know. When I got my first job, I think, a work colleague of mine decided to go to the United States donkeys years ago, but we decided to go from the east to the west coast on a Greyhound bus. And that's probably the closest thing that I ever got to backpacking or we just get on a bus somewhere then get off the greyhound bus after sitting on a sitting on it for 24 hours which is painful and just check into some accommodation somewhere but when you're over here in north america did you did you travel by greyhound or amtrak or how did you do that well the plan was to travel by train only because the thing is that i did not come to the united states uh, to do this mm-hmm. trip around the States. Um, During my first year at university, because I was still so hungry for traveling, I was, you know, a travel addict, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Even before I got home from a trip, I was planning the next. Yeah. And another important piece of information, no money at all. Like just the little money enough to get the ticket, what the flight was the most expensive thing back then yeah. to get to where you needed to go. And then it's really on a budget, like the bus and the cheapest Oh, train. exactly, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned Greyhound. Well, if you can spend the night on a bus because the, the distance is long enough, then you would save one night in a hostel. So that's convenient. So yeah. how I ended there is that, um, after my first year at university, I really wanted to go far away. I'm originally from Italy, by the way. You said maybe Belgium. No, I've lived in Belgium for a few years, just prior to COVID. Yeah. And I've just come back to Italy after uh, some time in the States again. So uh, I was looking for opportunities to travel far. And I stumbled across this student work abroad project, SWAP student work abroad project um, for Canada. And, you know, far enough, far away was good enough for me. Australia, anywhere, like the moon, I'd go anywhere. And I was accepted um, in this program. And so I uh, went to Toronto and actually stayed there for a few months. And I did some small jobs there. And one day I was uh, at the train station just to, I don't know, catch my metro to go home. And I saw the advertisement of a rail pass, which was advertised quite you know, loudly because that was new there because yeah. Americans drive. And so this was a rail pass for 30 days that would allow you to travel on any train unlimited in Canada and the United States. And I still remember it was 800 Canadian dollars. And this was in 2001. Okay. And I remember looking at this ad and just not even asking myself the question. I knew that I barely had the money and maybe not even enough. But I said, I may enough for the ticket. Yes. And then the rest, God help me. But I thought, oh, I'm so going to do it. I'm so going to do it. You know, don't let that opportunity go. And so I bought the ticket and I planned to be on the road uh, the whole month of September 2001. I went home and I bought me a map of North America and I started seeing the places in Ontario where I could go. I said, oh, how convenient. I can see uh, more than Toronto. And I I checked. And then, you know, they told me that this place is nice. And I started moving farther with my finger on the map. 
And I believe that I got completely carried away. I'm like a megalomaniac. I said, okay, so maybe I can get to Vancouver, you know. Oh, oh, Vancouver, BC, yeah, just like that. eh? It's close enough. You know, I said, it's a month on the road. What do I want? So I got carried away completely because first I said, okay, so I'm going to go to Vancouver. Then I looked at the map and, you know, these are long distances. Imagine Vancouver, Los Angeles. That's a very long distance. But I thought, well, if I just do Seattle, if I just do San Francisco, how can I not see San Francisco? You know, as a European young woman, you have never seen America and your head is full of the images you've seen in the movies. It's like all the legends of America. Yeah. You want to see those places. So I started, how oh, San Francisco, oh, the Golden Gate Bridge, oh, Alcatraz. Oh, oh, I just want to do all of that. And so basically I decided that I would try to reach Los Angeles. That would be my farthest spot. Okay. It's just on the other side of the continent. And and, you know, then I said, well, why don't I just come back uh, from the other side? So basically, I ended up traveling uh, the per- the perimeter or perimeter, sorry, of uh, of the United States with the north side in Canada. So Toronto, yeah. Vancouver, all the way down to Los Angeles and then east all the way to New Orleans. Yep. Uh, up to Memphis and then to the coast. Uh, DC, Philadelphia, New York, Boston, Detroit, Buffalo, Toronto. Now you asked how I traveled, if by train or by Greyhound. Well, September 2001. So when I was in Los Angeles, 9-11, that's the date, the historic date. And and we are three hours behind with respect to New York. Mm -hmm. So I remember waking up and already seeing everyone think about something very, everybody was very agitated. And I had never been to New York before. I wasn't even familiar with the skyline. Like I had no idea because the, the this trip was not planned very much in advance. Yep. And I normally plan the itinerary more or less. I'm not yeah. one of those people who really reads at home uh, about the history of the place before I'm there. Yeah. That's me. I have to say, I have Ooh, friends who travel sense. and prepare a lot. And when mm-hmm. I see their pictures and comments, I always think, well, that's really a talent I don't have because they seem to enjoy the places they go to very, very much. Yeah. I might I might have missed something of a place just because yeah. I didn't learn about that specific thing when I was there. But I don't plan very much. So basically, uh, you know, it, I'll confess, even the Twin Towers, I didn't know what they were exactly. I mean, yeah. you know about the Empire State Building and this yeah. really, really, really famous sites. Yeah. So... To go back to the means of transportations and to take nothing away from the severity uh, of that event, which was terrible, uh, what happened is that America was in shock. Nobody could fly anymore in those next days. So, of course, they still drive, but Amtrak was overwhelmed with customers all at once. And that really made my journey forward difficult because yeah. sometimes trains were just fully booked. And standing, I just, like standing room only or something? Excuse me? Was standing room only? Like, was a place? Oh, no. Oh, you, no, you cannot do that. Oh, I don't know. Can you do that today? Oh, in Italy, I know you can. Like, trains oh, okay, in the yeah. summertime. It looks like some Indian train. Yeah. It gets folkloristic. But actually, no, actually, the system in the United States struck me back then because even with the rail pass, you had to go to the guichet, to the window, yeah. and mm, not purchase, but let them give you a ticket every time. Yeah. Yeah. In Europe, with the rail pass, you write yourself the destination on this little booklet that yeah. they give you. Mm-hmm. And so lines were very long. Yeah, the, sy- the system was just clogged. Yeah. And you also were assigned a spot. You yeah. had to sit right there and chairs were really big. I remember all these differences from oh, yeah, traveling yeah. by train. Sometimes they don't let you on the platform until, you know, they open the little gates and yeah. it's time to leave. It's much more formal. It feels like boarding a flight rather in Europe yeah. is mm-hmm. way more uh, un, unformalized, unstructured. So, well, I remember that, but indeed, 
uh, that complicated my trip forward because I had to try to book in advance. And with the rail pass, that was not always possible. And they did provide many um, replacement buses, including Greyhound oh, well, was serving. Okay. And yeah. So I, I also did travel a lot on Greyhounds. And like you said, because you did it for such a long distance, after 24 hours on a Greyhound, it starts being painful. You've got that. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know what you mean. Funny, when that happened, I had a couple, um, an office in uh, Ottawa, Canada, actually, and one of our employees came down to work in the United States when 9-11 happened. And he is actually from the Middle East. He's actually from Lebanon, right? So he has a, a sort of an Arabic name. And he got freaked out. I said, well, how am I going to get home? You know, um, so it's quite a story he's got. So obviously it was very disruptive at the time. But, you know, hopefully that uh, situation will never occur again. But you survived, which is the main thing. And it, it was challenging. We all go through challenges. So that that's good. But my my question is, you did all this backpacking. Then you went to uni- what, what university did you go to, by the way? Don't mind sharing that. Um, so I went to... Um- a small university in Italy, University of Udine, and I studied musicology. Okay, excellent. Well, you deserve a lot of credit, Federica, because you went from backpacking to um, obtaining a PhD, which is admirable. When you were sort of getting to the PhD level, you still got the urge to travel. And when I was starting out in business, we had we were able to recruit some computer science grads out of Ottawa University there. But one thing they wanted to do, like this happened two or three times, because they graduated from university, they said, well, we want to join your company. Can you wait? Because I want to go backpacking somewhere, whether it's in Australia or whatever. That was our last big fling before they settled down for a, a job. So it sort of made sense to me that they would do that. It's an ambition. So great work to uh, go from where you were to to what you are now take it to the next level you you spent time in egypt cairo right not cairo i was in marsa alam which is uh 800 kilometers south okay on the red sea on the red sea now my first question is that you're on the red sea do you scuba dive or did you do anything like that or you know because red sea is sort of famous for scuba diving oh i i never i never did that when i was there Okay. But did, where did you go to? I mean, you went to Masa Alam. Did you start off in Cairo or where did you start off from to get to Masa Alam? Well, through a friend uh, when I was in Italy, then yeah. I was hired by an agency that provided entertainment for the touristic resorts. Oh, okay. Red Sea, yeah, great destination for yeah, people sure. to go scuba diving. Yes. <laughs> like I said. But I was hired as an entertainer because I studied musicology at university, but I was also a musician. Uh, that was my life and my passion. If you asked me then, you know, can you believe that you will do a PhD in computer science? You will spend a couple of days just taking exams uh, and from the engineering curriculum and all of that. I would say, no, I don't believe that. And I liked, if I may just comment briefly on the fact that you connected this backpacking and then obtaining a PhD, like some sort of achievement, because of course, many people backpack when they're 20 and then yep. they go on with their lives and yep. do whatever. But in fact, I feel that backpacking was uh, reflecting some sort of you know, lack of means that I had then and that never... Uh, would I have dreamt of obtaining a PhD, which gives you a status also. You have accomplished something and then you're supposed to get a good job after you have a PhD. All theoretical things, it's like feelings about uh, things. But when I went back to the United States for the first time and I had my PhD under my belt and I went there for a conference, I was, you know, I had goosebumps. I say, gee, look at me. I was here with a huge backpack, which also gave me problems after 9-11 because yeah. it was covered with a black, um, you know, thing against the rain. And mm-hmm. uh, just I was covered because it's full of pockets and I had stuff yeah. hanging out. So it was always covered. And I got stopped many times oh, by yeah. the police. I was a young girl 
you know, a white young girl, uh, probably a bit dirty because she cannot shower often enough in the hostels where she stays because she doesn't always stay in a hostel because I slept in parking lots and in streets sometimes to save money. Uh, that was quite extreme, you know, my traveling then. My father still doesn't know some of that, but he also doesn't speak English. So I'm safe telling you this. <laughs> um, I got stopped a few times. I, I was traveling with my flip flops. That was really cheap, you know, back then. That was really adventurous. Uh, I do remember. Yeah, yeah, I remember many things from that time. But okay, PhD, Italy, Egypt, another corner of the world. So I was hired as a musician. Um, I was uh, I was supposed to just uh, play and sing because that's what I was doing. I play the piano and sing all yeah. by myself. Then I can talk so I can entertain and introduce the songs. So yeah. I was a solo band, one woman band and I got hired and I so with all my gear and everything I was uh, sh shipped to Marsa Alam directly they came to collect me at the airport and they uh, escorted me to this touristic resort which is like a cathedral in the desert it's built literally yep. in the desert sure. there's nothing much around so I did get to travel there because just you know life is generous with um uh, unexpected accidents with me. And then I turned them into adventures yeah, and stories course. to tell 20 years later. Uh, but I did stay in Marsa Alam pretty much all the time because I was working seven days a week. Yeah. And I did not scuba dive and do any of that just because I was an employee at the resort. I wasn't even supposed to use the swimming pool. You know, your yeah, uh, rules and regulations. Now, yeah. did, did you mentioned that you lost your voice. Is that true? That's what happened in Egypt. Yeah, after singing day and night for years and years in Egypt, uh, I it happened that I lost my voice, and it was not misuse but abuse. Like I said, I worked. I was working seven days a week, oh. which wasn't uh, according to the contract. But once I got there, I realized that that's a business where you know there's quite a lot of exploitation. And my mistake, being young and naive, was that I just wanted to be a good girl, make my employer happy. Yeah. So I was not standing much for myself. And then what do you do once you're there? The the work environment was um, not very friendly and it becomes unbearable to be there if everybody like your boss and the staff hates you. So oh, yeah. I did what they told me to. After all, I loved singing it was my life. And during the five hours each day that I was singing, that's when I was happy. So I did it and I did it seven days a week and I did it outside. And there's this dry wind of the desert a yep. little bit in the afternoon and then until midnight in the night. And it gets quite cold yep. outside right there. So after uh, almost two months, I started feeling a uh, sore throat one day. When you feel that, you should, you know, get a rest for yeah. some <laughs> days. I went to my supervisor and I told him that. And he surprised me by being very aggressive and saying, there's no question you can take a break. Like, you are a service of this resort. Oh, you okay. go out there and, and do your gig. And I was shocked, but I did. I went back there and I sang over my sore throat. Yeah. And, you know, you try to compensate, pick the right songs, but there's no escape for that. The voice is a delicate thing. And I kept going and I kept going. Uh, it was getting worse until one day I remember clearly, because that's more of a trauma than there's even time on your podcast to say, but I say music was very much my life yeah. back then. It was my dream. Um, I, I either become a singer or I die. That was extreme. And um, one evening, uh, I finished a song in Italian. I still remember which one. Mm -hmm. And when I let out the last two notes, then nothing else came out. That mm -hmm. was mute. Yeah. I could try and push. Nothing else came out. So in the following days, you know, they couldn't blame me. They could hate me still, but they couldn't blame me for not wanting to sing. Oh, exactly, yeah. So I was mute and I would just play. Yeah. some jazz standards or just a song and just play. They didn't like that because it was weird. How come the entertainer does not even say, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, you know, how is it going today? Did you have a nice day at the beach? You know? And so uh, in, after a few days, they fired me. 
Oh boy. Yeah. But what happened is that I could not go home uh, because I needed some paperwork to yeah. re-enter my own country, which was weird. Yeah. And so I was stuck in Egypt for another two weeks, I believe, mm-hmm. or so. Yeah. And I decided to get my throat checked by, uh, you know, a specialist. Yeah. And the closest specialist was in Urgada which is north of Mars Alam. Mm-hmm. And through a friend of a friend of a friend, because this is the culture down there. And I had my lovely Egyptian friends. I only had Egyptian friends. I did not befriend the European staff. And uh, so through the a friend of a friend of a friend, I found a ride, a free ride to Hurgada so that I could be visited by one of these doctors. I said, well, I need to be here for, I cannot use the swimming pool. I cannot do anything. I'm not going to be in a sort of, you see, a lockdown of sorts uh, in my room, in in the touristic resort. So I put the do not disturb sign on my door and off I went uh, with this person that I had. I confess. I mean, I don't know. I could be criticized for this. But yeah, true. I didn't know the person. Had never seen before. I just had this recommendation of a friend of a friend of a friend that I would be safe. And we drove. We left at in the evening because that's another lifestyle mm-hmm. over there. A door. A door. A complete different uh, conception of time. Yeah. So beautiful. And so we drove to Urgada. They were kind enough to wait for me to be visited by this specialist at one in the morning. And once that was finished, um, he, you know, I said, well, I'm free. What do I do? They were headed to Cairo. I said, well, you know, uh, and on their way back, they would pick me up again. And I said, well, no, I just come with you, you know, take me to Cairo. I have nothing to do here. I was very low. Because the doctor told me that I could either take a lot of medication and be able to sing during the Christmas holidays, which is a peak moment for tourists, or uh, but I could damage my voice permanently, or I had to just get vocal rest. And I sat back in the car and I remember this beautiful Egyptian sky. You know, I have never seen another sky like that anywhere else I've been in the world so far uh, like the sky in the Egyptian desert it goes all the way down to the horizon it's not just above you it's all around you and it's like in the prints that you use for the crash at Christmas you know Paul it's just full of stars it's Mm three-dimensional it's it's very I mean it's inspiring so it predisposes you in a philosophical mood. And I looked up at the sky and I thought, what do I do? Do I take the medication or do I somehow admit defeat? Because I wanted to be an artist and I ended up losing my voice singing the cheapest commercial music. Okay. Well, you know, when you mentioned that in Egypt, I was there in the the first Gulf crisis and I was there for work-related stuff. And I was in Cairo. The same thing happened to me. And I record, I have a, a thing on my website, my candid opinions about stuff. So I said, Cairo, the dustiest place on the planet, because it was so dry. And I landed probably talking too much, whatever it may have been. I lost my voice as well. And on, I worked so hard. When I got home, I was sick, sick as a dog. So I had to, well, it took me about three, three or four days to uh, get over that. But Egypt, great place, of course, is steeped in history. So Looking back on that, you're probably glad you went there anyway. And, you know, a couple of health issues. Don't, yeah, I, I know it's a, it's a special place, really. Not many, you saw the pyramids, of course. I'm, I'm sure that uh, it's uh, something to see. Absolutely. Uh, the special thing was that I was in Cairo and I couldn't speak. <laughs> Not that I couldn't speak Arabic, I couldn't speak. I didn't That's have it. a you voice. Were, yeah, so you use your hands as best you can. Eh? Absolutely. That was interesting. So I visited the pyramids. I had one day in Cairo because this uh, friendly people that brought me there. What an adventure. Um, So they they dropped me off and I would have the day and they would pick me up in the evening again uh, to drive back. That's 800 kilometers each way. It's crazy. It's really crazy. Brutal. Anyway, you went there. That's the main thing. Going back a little bit. And just spend a minute or two talking about this. When you were backpacking, you said you slept in parking lots and strangers' cars. I did. Did did the owners of the cars know that you did that? Just oh yeah, that that sounds awful. Yeah, I know. Yeah, imagine the owner coming back to the car. There's someone in our car. 
don't know who that is. No, no all right. Okay. Explain that quickly before we move on. I got to get this out of the way. I didn't think I'd be a little bit embarrassed telling these stories because it sounds super irresponsible and crazy, but let's call it rock and roll. Like, listen, I was in uh, San Francisco. I started calling around and uh, hostels were either fully booked or really expensive. And because that was the beginning of my trip, I said, no, no, I cannot spend all this money here. So very responsibly, I looked for a store that would be open 24 hours. Mm -hmm. I made sure they would be open 24 hours. So I went inside and asked because I thought there's lights here. There's people coming and going. So if I just find a quiet corner, put my backpack down and lean on it, I can have some hours sleep. Uh, and when I was in the store, I don't even know this. I forgot how I got to start talking to this man. Um, I, I really can. I, I have a gap there. I cannot tell you sincerely. But the thing is that he was someone working on the maintenance of the electric system of the city, oh, okay, the wires, yeah. yeah. etc. And he was just about to start his night shift. So he said, and I, I don't remember how it came to be, but this was the man. And he said, you know, just close by, we have our station and we go there and my car will be parked all night in the parking lot of where I work, but I will be inside in the office. And if they call us because there is oh, okay. a, something to repair, we'll go. So uh, I did that and it did cross my mind, but that maybe it was dangerous, but I spoke to other people. Let me put that out. That did some crazy things. It's either youth and uh, complete lack of common sense that shields you in a weird way. Or I may say, and I would not advise this to anyone else, no, but I, I think that there is a way of looking someone in the eye, sensing the situation in general and say, mm, uh, I I feel that I can do this because other things I have not done. And I had a, a pocket knife with me. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. stupid, but not too much, you know, adventurous, but not completely yeah. stupid. And, and I accepted that. I don't know if I slept much, but you know, everything went super well. You also have to give people a chance. This man was in fact, just a kind person yeah. that even brought me a mug of coffee in the car at some <laughs> three in the morning or so. And so I stayed in his car uh, through that night. And then in the morning he dropped me somewhere and off I went to see right, the Golden well, Gate Bridge. It's a human spirit. Um, you've got to survive. We have to all survive. And we've been in these predicaments before. We have to get through it. You have to get through it, but this is this is all right. I mean, you know, you're Speaking probably not. Speaking of alone. internet, may I say that if I had my phone with internet and Facebook existed back yeah. then, because this was again 2001, yeah. I would have for sure checked this man. Maybe after even accepting the invitation in from his car, I would have googled him. I would have checked yeah. him out. I couldn't do that back then. And look at me, I'm still alive. And honestly, I would not recommend that anybody else does that. But I haven't, even if it's a bit weird to tell the story like this, it's rock and roll and everything worked fine. And I did that, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, a good little story there. The other thing is you speak seven languages. I thought you were from Belgium. So you speak Flemish because you lived in Belgium. Is that true? If I were Belgian, I would speak four languages to begin with. They are amazing. That's a very multilingual place. I admire them for that. Yeah. I would speak uh, French, uh, Dutch, you know, Flemish, uh, and English, and probably German. In fact, I speak Italian and Slovenian from birth because oh, I am bilingual. Okay. I come from that part of Italy, close to the border with Slovenia. I went to Slovenian elementary school and all of that. Is it North East Trieste? Yeah, close to Trieste. Yeah, there is okay. a small town called Gorizia. Yeah, okay. Um, and I come from there, my beloved hometown. So I speak Italian and Slovenian because I come from there. I learned English partly in school, but for the most part by myself without yeah. the internet again, and then by traveling and with songs and music, because I just, I not just loved it. I had a clear sense that it would open doors for me. Yeah. And therefore I put an effort into learning English. Okay. So that would be my third language. Then I loved French uh, and I learned French. Well, I, I speak it right well. You said seven languages. That sounds a bit too much. In fact, I, I do communicate. I can get by easily in seven languages, but two of them I speak. I, I struggle with speaking two of those. 
that would be Portuguese and German. My German is awful. But then with learning Dutch, it got better. So uh, English, French, and Spanish. And that, that's it, right? Yeah. Well, you better. I speak five languages. English, American, Canadian, Australian, and South African. <laughs> yeah, well, you can go many places with those languages. That's right. You have to learn. You have to learn the dialects and the accents to get by. I've been living in the states for some some years now. Be, there, there is a difference in the two languages, actually, but that's another story. You've also biked east to west or west to east in Italy, and you also walked across a Camino de Santiago. Now that is Spain, is it not? You can adjust the itinerary a little bit, but for like the the standard traditional path, uh, start in France. Okay. In Saint Jean Pied de Port, and the and you cross the the mountains, the Pyrenees. I don't know how to say that in English, yeah. and then you get to Spain, okay. and you do walk all the way through then the uh, Basque country yeah. to. Uh, Santiago de Compostela. Okay. The interesting story about that is that I haven't finished it because I overdid it in the beginning. Yeah. You know, that's uh, I want to finish it and I'm ashamed of what I have done. But then again, you know, the lessons you learn, you know, every time you fail in life, it's something you hit your head on some wall. The lessons you learn and the stories you get. So I overdid it in the beginning because groups even if you don't walk with someone else, more or less, you know, the speed is, is the same. So you walk in groups. And at some point, the same group of people will stop for the night in that location. Yeah. And if you're called Federica Bressan and you have a little bit of an ego, you say, I will walk farther. So I'll go to the next hostel in the other town, which is, I don't know, 12 kilometers ahead and you keep walking but at some point your legs are like no girl you're not going anywhere and physically you can't i walked uh 72 kilometers in two days and then no more like i woke up in the morning i don't know if i said something stupid because it was a long time ago but i remember that that was the number i could check it up um i said i went from saint jean pied to pamplona Mm-hmm. That's when my journey ended, which is absolutely not a long way. It's just the no. very first piece of, of the whole journey. Uh, but I overdid it. I walked so much. And when I woke up in the morning one day, you know, I, I couldn't walk like in Egypt. I pushed and no voice came out. And there I tried to walk and my legs wouldn't let me. So I guess you could say that. Even as an adult, because I was past 20, you you can say I was a grown-up then, I had no notion of my limits. (laughs) I've learned a lot. It reminds me of that song, Water Like an Egyptian. No, probably nothing to do with it, but I'm just just saying, um, yeah, well, yeah, you just wear yourself out eventually, right? Ups and downs. And And the feeling of uh, failure was burning i was so ashamed and in uh, pamplona when i walked into a travel agency like defeated to book a flight to go home i learned that actually not only many many pilgrims do that but many people just um plan the trip in parts because they don't have enough holidays from work or anything. So it's not a shame if you don't go from Saint-Jean-Pied-Port to Santiago in one go. And I said, uh, you know, I I learned that. Still, the failure was burning, but I was proud I walked so far and I learned my limits. I learned my physical limits. I learned that when you think you cannot go any further, you still can go a long way. The body will surprise you, but it comes a time where it will say enough now. And there you stay. Yeah, You cannot even crawl. You just stay there. And so I flew back from Saragossa because there was the closest airport. And I still plan to go back and finish uh, the Camino. I really wanted to do it basically last year, this year, but with COVID, just impossible. Yeah, they got it under the name for that. It's called the Way of St. James, right? Very possible, yes. Yes, yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll find it on Wikipedia, actually. There's a whole section on it. It's interesting. I read it briefly. That's why I brought the subject up. But, you know, you, you talk about failure. No, you achieved something. It's You actually did something. There's there's a lot of people who 
you know, spend their lives doing nothing. They wouldn't even think about doing what you're doing. Are your backpacking days over and done with or your hostel days? That's a very good question. You mentioned that with age, some things change. For example, you want to stay away from crowds. Yeah. Um, during my years in academia, during my PhD, and then I worked as a researcher for 10 years. I was blessed with a second career. It was amazing. Uh, I was lucky enough to travel to go to conferences, and yep. I would be reimbursed by the university, so I would stay in fancy hotels. Yep. That was super fancy for my standards, that's for sure. So I traveled a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And then with my own podcast, I kept traveling a lot and always with public transportation. I'm not someone who rents cars because I associated that idea with rich people do that. P rich people rent cars. I go by train, by bus, by foot. Um, so I stopped backpacking and I not just stopped traveling. I just experienced a different type of traveling. And sometimes I told myself it's hard to go back to a dormitory after you have experienced right. something else there is some comfort you just feel you you like you want i would say now that no my backpacking days are not over but what has happened is that back then when i was 19 20 and during the years i was at university I was officially doing something with my life because I was a student. But then in my spare time, when I would travel, I would just travel. I go yeah. and explore. Mm -hmm. Now, when I travel, I still explore, but I like to have a purpose or a reason. The podcast is an excellent reason. Uh, so I always travel with some gear. I travel with, you know, I travel for with more than a T-shirt and a pair of socks. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So some comfort must come with that. But uh, by no means I can travel and stay in hotels. I have traveled by in, with my car without renting. Yep. And I did sleep in my car oftentimes. Uh, so no, my backpacking days are not over, but it's not the same for many reasons. No, it's not the same. Well, I'm going to I'm going to pique your interest here, and I I know you haven't been to Asia, right, or, or Southeast, maybe anywhere in Asia, but a great backpacking destination is the country of Laos, right? Okay, okay, yeah. and it's it's tremendous. I I went there. F probably about four or five years ago. I've been there twice to, to Ventienda, the capital city, which is surprising, by the way. And then uh, just a couple of years ago, I spent a few days in Luang Prabang in the northern part of the country. It's a fabulous backpacking destination. Scenery is fantastic. People are great. Lots of people doing what you do. And there's hostels, but there's low-budget hotels there as well. And you can get around easy. Lots of places to walk. Check it out on the internet, and uh, it may pique your interest. I was surprised how many backpackers there were there. Uh, I stayed in a hotel while I was there, by the way, in VATM, but there was a couple of hostels right there, and uh, there's lots of people doing exactly that. Yeah, so just a thought. Yeah. Noted. Yeah. I do want to visit Asia. In fact, it's a thing. When I say I have traveled a lot, and I have, but I have only been in Europe, in North America, and then briefly in Egypt or Tunisia yeah. or in um, St. Petersburg in, yeah. in Russia. But I have never been to Sub-Saharan Africa, to South America, to Asia, to Oceania. So to say I've traveled a lot and then to say I've only been in Europe and in North America sounds a lot like a white middle-class woman thing to say. But in fact, because I have always traveled by myself and on a budget, even in the era before cell phones yeah. and all of that, I don't, I didn't feel safe going in a place that I'm not saying is unsafe, but is much more different from my own country. Yeah. You know, America is a very different place than Europe, but close enough that you know that there's the police station like this and the train station will be like that. You know, I no. So that's why I have never been there, but it's absolutely on my to-do list. Yeah. And I take note of Laos. Don't do that. And you love walking. I get that. Well, trek the Himalayas. You know, you can actually just do it for two or three days. Go up, unbelievable scenery, obviously, and you just stay in these mountain villages, hang out with the locals. It's a rich cultural experience. You'll enjoy that. It's, it's well, I watched your video that's on YouTube where you talk about Mongolia. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I really want to go. Yeah. yeah. It's like the planet Mars. Well, that's, that's what I 
thought it looked like, but not having been to Mars, of course, but it's uh, it's uh, quite a special place. You've got lots of stuff to do, but the thing is, um, Federica, yeah, the more you do, you, you, if you've got a, the, the overused term of bucket list, I use it myself, even though it's overused, but more stuff gets added to mine, which means, wait a minute, this should be getting shorter, not longer. And there's more stuff I want to do, even though I'm getting older. So you know, that should that's probably happened to you. But you keep, you know, the, all the places you go to, and I think you you alluded to this, you keep, you've got all this memorabilia pictures and you keep a journal, right? I've been journaling since I was 14. And yeah. from the times that I was in the United States, for example, or in Egypt, I have you know, stacks of journals, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, not many pictures because they were on film. You paid yeah. to develop them. Exactly. So not much of that. And not many, you know, I mean, just before the internet, what are we talking about? I would have tons of connections because I would stay friends with anybody yeah. on the train. You know, let's stay in touch. And I just have memories and maybe some phone numbers scrapped on my notebook that yep. probably is not in use anymore. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't bring home many memorabilia. I am, I'm not one of those people that buys souvenirs a lot because, gee, I mean, it's a backpack. You know, it's heavy on my shoulders. <laughs> yeah, true. I'm guilty of that, actually. The shelf behind me, I got one over there, just little trinkets I pick up here and there. But I think the main thing is, and you've got a journal, you write things down. Now, my parents, my parents were World War II veterans growing up in England, and it would have been great if they wrote stuff down. I've got pictures. I've got a few videos, but they never wrote anything down. There's no words, and that would be fabulous to read. You write stuff down in your experiences. It can be passed through your generations. Now, I did this for a selfish reason. I, I wrote books, which is like a journal, basically. So when I'm lying down in my late years and unable to travel, I can read, I went here, or who is this guy? Oh, it's me, is it? Oh. But you can read back on this yeah. stuff. And it's like looking at photographs. It's like looking at uh, videos. But you're writing stuff down uh, that you feel at the time. And yeah. it's, 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 it's a great thing to do. So absolutely keep on doing that. You know, that's yeah. And because it was on paper, then it, it gives you a whole different feeling when you read it's, it's just what it is. I mean, now I, I write on my computer, but back then it's a different thing. It's the paper into your writing style. And also I would keep tickets and small things or a napkin from somewhere and just stick it inside. So there are things in, the journal it's it's really something and it's a lot of text oh and, yeah yeah uh, and it's a lot of my thoughts in fact you mentioned passing it down that would be nice to read what your grandparents wrote i consider burning this stuff before i die because i mean um not seriously or Maybe, because I'm not any public figure i'm not of interest to anyone and it's personal stuff so who would go through that and what for it? And it's also personal stuff that I would probably be ashamed of. It's just raw and real. If it serves as a human case, yeah, fine. But I'm not sure. I just have that stuff and I have digitized it all oh. a couple of years ago. So I have all of those uh, journals in my computer and I was planning on actually adding metadata so that I could easily look for what have I done on this date in 1999, oh. you know? It's yeah. a lot of material. Like you, I um, I do believe that um, if you're lucky enough to, to live a long life, which I really hope to do, that you should be busy doing silly things and crazy things when you can uh, so that you have something to look back on and smile about when you're older. Oh, that's very true. You've got to do that. You'll have these memories. Now, I, I'm going... Uh, in September this year, if I can get out of here, I'm hopeful. I booked a flight or a trip to, and you've probably never heard of this place, in Raja Ampat, R-A-G-A space A-M-P-A-T. It's a, a large marine park, so I scuba diving, but it's a group of islands which are uh, just west of the island of Papua in Indonesia. I can't get in Indonesia today, but I'm hoping I will. So that's my intention to go there. It's in the middle of nowhere. I got to get this out of my system. It's difficult to get there, difficult to get back. And 
then on the way back, you mentioned this place earlier on, Slovenia. I was hoping to go to Ljubljana, whatever I pronounce that right, in Slovenia, which looks like a fabulous city to go to. You've probably been there, have you? Because you, well, I know you speak the language, don't you? Yeah. I speak the language. I actually carry two passports, Italian and Slovenian. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So I'm slightly biased when you ask me about Slovenia. Um, I wouldn't narrow it down to Ljubljana. You just you just got to visit Slovenia. Actually, don't just go to Ljubljana because it is a beautiful city. Yeah. But the nature and or Maribor or Primorje, which would be our region closer to the to the Adriatic Sea. Yeah. You just you just you just got to go there. Like it's it's all beautiful. The food is great. Now, it always sounds like an advertisement, right? But it, it is what it is. Slovenia, you cannot do wrong. Anywhere you go, it's really beautiful. And it's small. If you, for example, travel by car, you yep. can, you can, yeah, uh, have a great time there. But I'm biased, but it's beautiful. That's all right. You can be biased. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I've enjoyed Italy as well. You know, my favorite city in the, your home country is Florence, by the way. Mm-hmm. Well, I like Florence for whatever reason. I've been to Rome, been to Venice. And uh, so, yeah. Well, I've been gone from Italy for a couple of years and I never, I don't know, I always wanted to leave. Like Italy was never on the map for me. I just wanted to be elsewhere. And Italy is big in a way or because it's so long, there are cultural differences along the the boot like we call it because it's shaped like a boot Uh, and I come from this corner in the northeast so you know uh, my culture is not that of Florence not that of Rome is not that of Naples so I have come back to Italy now because of COVID and I settled down near Rome and when I was driving from Brussels to here as soon as I entered Italy in Lombardy, which is not the most beautiful region of Italy, but already there, you know, the architecture changes yeah. and there's something in the air. You're in Italy and it's funny because you're, you think it's my own country, but I don't perceive it like that. I, I, I feel like an expat that is, I don't know. So everywhere I turn my head, I would ooh and ah, because there's so much beauty. Uh, well, it true. surprised me. I mean, everybody knows Italy is beautiful, but then I was there. I was driving through Emilia, Romagna, and then Tuscany, and then I reached Lazio, which is the region where I'm in now. And uh, you know, I wasn't I wasn't just looking around and say how beautiful. I would stop and be surprised and say, "Oh my God, I didn't know it was so beautiful." So exactly. you know, um, this is a gorgeous corner of the planet. Mm-hmm. Italy is is amazing, uh, and everything is so close together. Especially if you've been to the United States before and you drove from San Francisco to LA, or just you know those distances, or even Brussels to Rome. Yeah. You know, if you if you've driven there, there's a yeah, sure. I mean, Rome, Naples, Rome, Bologna. It's all around the corner, and there's so much to see. So here's another advertisement for, for yeah, Italy. Yeah, there's so much beauty on the planet. And that's why I like um, to, to visit these obscure places. People ask me why. Right now I've been to 98 countries, which sounds like I need counselling uh, because it's a ridiculous number. Uh, but the, I said I'm, I'm trying to do as much as I can, but it's a learning. It's educational for me. Right? I learn a bit more. And there's so many beautiful places on the planet in every country. It has their own character, has its own culture. And it's just great to learn about this stuff. So that's why I keep on doing it. I may drop dead on the job one day. That's fine. But I'm just going to do it while I can. So keep at it, Federica. Now, I got a couple of questions for you. Uh, with I got your website. You've got your own website, federicabressan.com. Okay, so people can look at that to find out more about you. And But tell me about uh, techno culture. What is that? Technoculture is the name of my first podcast, and um, I started that in 2018, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm so enthusiastic about it. It was such a great idea to start a podcast, and now I have 42 episodes out. Um, it became a video podcast along the way, yeah. so the first episodes are just audio, and the most recent ones you find on iTunes and Spotify, but also on YouTube. Yep. And 
it took over my life. I traveled so much for the podcast and for the record, just in case it's not clear to everyone, because some people monetize their podcast. I don't. I actually pay to do it because I had to buy some gear and then, you know, the hosting service, those small things. It's not terribly expensive. But then I decided I wanted to meet my guests in person. Yeah. All before COVID, of course. But whenever I could, I would travel. Uh, I couldn't go to Tokyo, of course, but once I went to Switzerland from Brussels, once I went to Norway from Brussels, and it's always been like, I cannot tell you, when I was at CERN uh, in Geneva during their open days, and because I was a podcaster, they gave me a press uh, badge so that I could skip the lines and get access to the underground uh, particle accelerator. So I've seen Mm -hmm. that when I was there, you know, I thought in my head, when people ask me, why do you do it? Or you should monetize, you know, you cannot go on like that. I'm there at CERN with the accelerator. And I said, this is the reward, at least for me, man, when I'm old, you know, if I get old, <laughs> I will, I will look no. back and, and say, well, I did it. Did you? That That's the reward for me. It's just, and I didn't know I would get to visit the accelerator until the very day because things happen when you're on this place you have to be there and you know that's why no plan just go there and same thing like norway i left a piece of my heart over there yeah Um, i plan to go back this summer if they let us travel with covid and everything so uh Technoculture is my podcast. Uh, you can find it. Uh, the website is at least technoculture-podcast.com. And it's also yeah. on iTunes and Spotify, those places. But because it, I love doing this so much, I am not sure that Technoculture would keep going for a long time because I have other podcast projects coming up. And I'm yes. quite excited about that. So more on the website you mentioned okay. that I'm just renovating now because I'm switching careers. You see, I was a musician before then a researcher for t- 10 years. And now I am trying to, I'm in actually the final stage of transitioning to being a communicator, a science communicator full time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Well, good work. Good work. So people can find you out there on the ether, federicabressan.com. And there's a lot more information, technical. I read about it. Uh, good websites, by the way, enjoyable reading. You know, anything else you want to talk about or got any questions about anything or anything like that? I just want to thank you for having this podcast because Travel Addict is genius. Travel Addict is what it is. It's not for everyone. Many people love traveling. You know, if you ask to someone, do you like traveling? Who doesn't? Uh, You know, when I was at university studying musicology, people ask you, why did you pick musicology? Many of me, my you know, colleagues there will say, because I like music, because you don't know what else to say, but who doesn't like music? So I think that the word addict next to travel specifies a specific niche of people who actually are not uh, tourists. You know, I would never go to New York for a week, especially from Europe, because it's a long way. When I go, I go for at least a month to some place which is not someone everybody can yeah. do. So I'm lucky. I, I, I think I also pay a price for how I organized my life, but it's just, this is what it's all about for me. The adventure, this is the life I want to lead. Yeah. And so the travel addict speaks to me in a way that is um, very much about also life and, 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 and lifestyle and philosophy. It's a very, very interesting topic for conversations with people that have stories of sorts. So it's not tourism, although there's nothing wrong with that. And it must, there's an overlap, but thank you for having this show and I will keep following. It's great. Well, thanks Federica. And all these uh, travel experiences, some, most of them are great. Some can be horrid, just like, you know, brush it under the carpet and just part of the experience, but keep doing it. And um, if you're ever in South Florida or Florida anywhere, Give us a yell. Well, you know, that's on my to-do list because, like I said, I went in 2001 from New Orleans up north to Memphis and then D.C. So, basically, I skipped Florida altogether. I'm about three, four hours drive east of New Orleans. So, there you go. It's not far. Wild city. All right, Federica, thanks for joining me today. It's been excellent. And, um, you know, we'll be in touch. All right. Take care of yourself over there. 
Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. My pleasure. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. 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 Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, malcolmjteasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe. Thank you.